Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Telling the Story podcast. This is the audio branch of the Telling the Story blog at tellingthestoryblog.com, a look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This is the final podcast episode I will release this year. It has been a great year. My first as a podcaster to go along with my now decade of experience in broadcast. Each of my podcast guests has provided such great and unique perspective about their various careers in journalism and storytelling. Along the way, they have also offered some really solid and heartfelt advice for journalists and storytellers across the board. With that in mind, I wanted to make this final podcast a compilation of advice by storytellers for storytellers. I interviewed 12 people on the podcast this year. You will hear from eight of them today, each offering a different ingredient, a different bit of inspiration on how to be a better storyteller. We start with the importance of passion. Andrew Carroll was my fifth guest on the Telling the Story podcast. This year he released a phenomenal book called Here is Where. It is 450 pages uncovering some of the lesser-known stories in American history. Not a topic I usually seek out, but Carol's writing roped me in. But Carol never expected to be a writer. And in our interview, he talks about how passion and encouragement to exercise that passion really paved the way for much of his success. I think the best advice that I was ever given and I would convey to others is, you know, don't write to be published. That write because you love to write, write because it changes your view of the world, write because it makes you more perceptive and more attentive to what's around you because you see people differently and you want to record these thoughts or get down, you know, experiences you've had. I think if you go into like, I want to write a book that, you know, may not be the best way. And I, I never, I never even thought I was going to do a book of war letters. I never, when I was collecting these stories of, of unknown historical sites, there was never an intention of doing a book in the first place. I just love the stories. And so, you know, I've always wanted to give a speech on the myth of passion. And we tell people, like, find your passion. Passion isn't singular. Passion is a perspective. It's like the way you look at the whole world kind of excites you. And that, to me, is the greatest thing that a teacher or a parent, I've been very lucky that my parents always encouraged my brother and, and, and me to be readers. Um, but, you know, that's why I dedicate the book to the teachers I've had in my life. And I, and I use the, a line about how education really kindles the fire. And, and I thank them for igniting that, that spark because that's what they really did. And that's what I think the best teachers do. I really enjoyed those words from Andrew Carroll, and I remember very well the teachers and professors whose own passion helped stoke mine. Next up, Roman Mars. Of the many episodes of this podcast, the Roman Mars interview has by far been the most popular. Mars, of course, is the creator and host of 99% Invisible, the terrific podcast and NPR segment about architecture and design. He talked about the importance of finding a story's emotional center, in 99% Invisible, Mars talks about topics that are not always the easiest to picture in your mind. He's talking about architecture, design, which means he's got a challenge because he's doing audio. He did one episode on rebar, which is a reinforcement bar seen in buildings and structures, and you probably have very little idea what I'm referring to. I barely knew what it was until I heard the podcast. Well, Mars knows this, which is why he centers his stories on emotion. The thing about radio is that it is the medium in which you, I guarantee you someone is doing something else while they're listening mm -hmm. to you. So you can't 
guarantee full attention. In fact, like you guarantee not having full attention. TV's not that much different, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess so. But at least you kind of you the intention is people are looking at it. Right. But but maybe you make it so that's not necessarily the case. Um the other way is to tell the story about the thing such that a clear image isn't really required. And so with rebar, I don't think you really had to picture rebar perfectly. All you had to get in the very beginning is, um, I am very anxious about rebar (laughs) as a substance because you see it poking out of things and uh, you see it in movies. As soon as you see rebar in movies, you know that there's some danger of someone going to be impaled on it. Right. And, and so I tell the story in such a way that it, it's not really required that you get the visual perfectly. It's about the idea and the impact that this as, a, as an item in the built world affects the person sort of emotionally. And that, that's how I function. So for the most part, I do that. When I have to get the image exactly right, um, it's much more fraught and dangerous territory to get into. And it's one of the reasons why, even though I cover design, I don't cover graphic design all that much unless the image is so simple or so ubiquitous that um, I can get away with it. Uh, and mainly it has to do with using this visual thing as a lens to view how humans react to it. And that story you can always tell, no matter what the medium is. That's Roman Mars of 99% Invisible. He's talking about taking that extra step, that step where as a storyteller, you separate yourself briefly from your story and try to identify what's important about it. Another person who addressed this was our youngest podcast guest, Rachel Hamburg. She is the managing editor of the Stanford Storytelling Project, another long-form audio production. Hamburg just graduated Stanford, but now works with undergrads on their stories, and she speaks here about how aspiring journalists do one thing that perhaps seasoned journalists should do more. That is, seeking out what's unique in each and every story. So a student is going to take, is going to do an interview, let's say, and then they have to transcribe that interview, and then they have to make that interview into a script if they're doing, you know, the kind of majority of the stuff that we do. Um... And then they have to take that script and record their own narration, and then they need to add music. And a lot of the students that are doing this are doing it for the first time. Um, and it takes a lot of work to turn to take, you know, to, if you've never done writing for <laughs> film or radio before, to make a piece that you know could get aired on the radio or be put on pod on a podcast and sent out to ten thousand people. Oh, I know, it's lot, absolutely, it's a lot of pressure and. You know, people are really willing to make something, um, to spend a lot of time making something good. And I think they, you know, they have a lot of respect for the people that they're interviewing. They genuinely want to tell those stories. It's like when you're first coming to this field, you just realize, um, I think more than maybe seasoned journalists, you know, how vulnerable the people who are being interviewed are and how open they are to telling their stories. And so I think a lot of students are really moved by that and willing to put in a ton of work to make those stories come alive. That was Rachel Hamburg. I am Matt Pearl. This is the Telling the Story podcast, the best of edition for 2013. We're recapping some of the best advice about storytelling given by my podcast guests. 
we transition from what some might consider starry-eyed advice to a much more school-of-hard-knocks approach. Tomas Rios is a freelance writer whose work has appeared on the website Slate in Deadspin. He's been grinding for a long time, and he says he's a much better and much smarter writer because of it. He talks here about how real-world experience and the ability to self-edit can go a long way. The best thing any writer can get, regardless of where they're at in their career, but especially when you're a young writer, is really good editing. I feel like that's something that, you know, I didn't have the good sense to seek out earlier in my career because I was, you know, too busy trying to make sure that I was making at least a little bit of money off my writing. And in retrospect, the most valuable editing that I ever received was for stuff that I ended up writing for free. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, every young writer should just go out there and write for free. But I'm saying that one thing that they should be conscientious about looking for in terms of their writing is good editing. And if you tie yourself down to one place, unless you get very lucky and that place happens to have great editing, it's not something you're going to get. I feel like a lot of younger writers aren't really, um, they're very focused on trying to land a staff gig or getting themselves on a track to land a staff gig. And as a result, they don't really learn how to freelance, how to pitch pieces effectively, how to develop relationships with editors. You know, these are very important skills that, you know, a young writer should have if they want to really advance their career. And I feel like it's something that I was missing for a very long time. And it's not something I had until people kind of taught it to me and went out of their way to tell me, hey, this is something you really need to have. So, you know, to a young writer, I would say, Learn how to pitch a story, pitch it all over the place, do lots of freelance work if you need to take. I would say that it's probably way better to make writing more of a labor of love than a career track at first. Um, I've developed as a writer the whole time holding down a nine to five job and it's very difficult and very challenging. But at the same time, it tested whether or not I really wanted to be a writer and actually eventually forced me to make the decision that I do want to pursue this as a career. In interviewing Rios, I could tell how much he thinks critically about his job. It's something that shows up in his writing, and that ability to self-critique is probably one of the best lessons any journalist or any person can learn. Tomas Rios worked his way up as a writer. How does one break in as a broadcaster? The answer is usually backpack journalism, reporters who shoot their own stories. The smart ones get good at both and can use both to pave their way to big opportunities. Anne Herbst worked as a backpack journalist for a newspaper, the Denver Post, in between stints at various Denver TV stations. She's worked in the field and as a manager, and she says backpack journalists should be essential to any smart newsroom. Seriously, I think like every TV station should have at least one good backpack journalist yeah. because they can just go out and get stuff done alone without you having to worry about sending an entire crew. I think it's a, you know, I think there are good ones. There are really, really terrible ones out there. And we all know that. Um, I, I just, I, I wish that we had one here. We don't have one here. And you know, I, I'd say you got to be scouting your, your good ones and you have to be grooming the good ones, the ones that have potential now. Um, but it's such a great tool for a newsroom. I think it's such an amazing tool for a newsroom. What I don't do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel like your current newsroom misses out on because they don't have a backpack journalist on the staff? 
I just think it would help with staffing issues if we have a good one. And I know the good ones out there. Um, I just, I really feel like it can help with staffing issues when there are some. And, and that one person can go to the far reaches of the state and get the same thing as a two-person crew could go and get. And you're not, you're not kind of spending two people. You're just spending one person. Yeah. Um, now I'm saying hire good ones and hire ethical ones and hire ones that can tell good stories by themselves. But, um, but I just think it helps so much with staffing issues. And that's what everyone is going through right now. Everyone complains about staffing issues. Ann Herbst is someone whose work I admire as a backpack journalist, and I greatly enjoyed our conversation, as I did with Erin Brethauer. By day, she is the multimedia editor and a staff photographer with the Citizen Times in Asheville, North Carolina. But for one week this year, she got the chance to take over the Instagram account for The New Yorker. The magazine hands the reins of its Instagram to a different photojournalist each week. Brethauer got her shot this summer, and it left her marveling at how photography can now be done effectively in so many different ways. Listen to her here and get a sense of her ability to experiment with and embrace new forms of storytelling. For me, it was like a really refreshing experience being able to use the iPhone because I've been going to this camp and I've been building relationships and I've been photographing it kind of a similar way every year with an old film camera. And so this was like a really totally new way for me to see things and it really refreshed the way I was shooting. So, um, How so, if I can uh, ask? Um, well, okay, so... I've been going to camp and making these diptychs and portraits with a film camera, an old Hasselblad film camera, which is like medium format film. It's like this slow, clunky camera. And that's actually what attracted me to it in the first place um, was, you know, I brought brought it with me um, when I went and visited the camp for the first time. And I liked that, um, you know, in my daily job, I'm shooting with digital cameras and it's, you know, I'm turning the photos over really fast. And then this film camera came along and I, it really forced me to slow down a lot. And so for the last few years, I've been going to camp and really slowing down with this camera. And then this year I was able to kind of have this nice, like quick, light and easy, <laughs> immediate tool. Um, so I was really shooting with two cameras, you know, this old film camera but then also the iPhone and the iPhone allowed me to just get really close to people and I was actually talking to a photographer friend tonight and we were just trying to figure out why it's become like why Instagramming and why taking pictures with your iPhone has been kind of satisfying and we both thought it was kind of like you don't have to set any dials you don't have to you know a lot of things are automatic yes a lot of things are automatic and then the immediacy of it too like afterwards you can look at the photos and um you don't have to upload them in your computer you can kind of tone them in your phone so it's just it's nice both herbst and Brethauer, i think show the importance of having multiple skills the more you can do and the more you know how to do the more you will get to do in this field in a lot of ways it's that simple But what about when the thing you love about storytelling is getting tougher and tougher to find? Matt Dietrich is a staff photographer with the Indie Star, and he's a great photographer with many years in the business. Much like Breath Hour, he's embraced the new ways of taking photos, but he's also fighting for the classic method. I spoke with Dietrich right after the Chicago Sun-Times laid off its entire photography staff. In this segment, Dietrich talks about how times are changing, and sometimes the answer to adversity is just working harder. You know, for about, you know, 15 minutes, you know, there was almost this little personal pity party that was going on going, oh my gosh, when's it going to happen next? But then, 
you know, I kind of set up and I stopped replying to all the Facebook things that were going on. A lot of people <laughs> were sharing the post and giving their own opinions. And you know what? And I was going to type this out, but I didn't. But I said to myself, I'm done posting anything about it. I'm not going to reply to anything else. This is going to motivate me to come back and continue to do hard work, do what I do best, and hopefully honor those photographers that, that lost their job. You know, it's, it's up to us to keep moving forward and keep pushing the boundaries and keep trying to drive the bus at the newspaper and, and generate the assignments and, uh, you know, generate, you know, the camaraderie with the community and uh, just keep doing what we do to, to show that photography is essential and is needed. It can be a dizzying business, which I think is easy to handle sometimes if you don't think about it too much. If you just go along for a ride in the industry, then maybe you won't stress out as much. But you also might miss out on the chance to make a major impact. I always appreciate journalists who think actively about what they do as well as why they do it. And the final passage I will play today comes from my very first podcast guest, my coworker at WXIA-TV in Atlanta, John Shirick. This is a guy who's been doing it forever, and he's made his share of adjustments during his career. But Shirik seems to have just a wonderful understanding about why he does this job and the kind of differences he can make by doing it. Here, he discusses the importance of having faith in the work you do. We can talk all, all day about how to write a story, whether a story was well-written, well-shot, well-edited, well-presented, and, and uh, we're always trying to do that better. But... A week or two ago, I did a story that um, was very important to a group of people in, uh, that um, was involved with this issue. And in their little universe, this story went viral. And I was able to see some of the comments that people wrote on, on a blog or a, or a Facebook page or you know different places where the story popped up. And 99% of them were talking about the issue involved in the story. They were talking about the people involved. They weren't talking about how well-written it was or wasn't, or how well-shot it wasn't or wasn't. That's what I was talking about, about the story coming out and becoming what is remembered and what people react to, and, um, and not the reporter to where if you know that, that you've done such a good job that they don't notice you, they notice the story, then you can feel like you've succeeded doing a good job and a responsible job for the viewers and the, and the web readers. Um, and, and so I think that when people can act and react and, and make a difference in other people's lives because of some work that you've done, then that's, that's good. That's, that's kind of what you hope for. You hope that you're doing good. That is John Shirick, my coworker at WXIA in Atlanta, a continual source of inspiration. I'm going to try to have him back on the podcast pretty soon. You know, as I listen to these clips and think back on these podcasts, I think what sticks out to me is that sense of purpose. I don't know if there's an elixir to becoming a great storyteller, but I think a lot of it comes down to the words of John Shirick and the words of Andrew Carroll from the start of this podcast. You've got to have passion and you've got to have purpose. It's not always easy to keep either, but if you can and you work hard, I honestly think you can be pretty successful in this business, if not pretty impactful. And that is it. These are the final moments of the final Telling the Story podcast of 2013. I want to thank those of you who have listened to episodes in the past. And if this is your first time, I invite you to check out our past episodes by going to tellingthestoryblog.com. The Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. 
rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening to this episode and this season of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.